Hey guys, and welcome to the Alternative Movement Podcast, where we talk about everything adaptive training. Today, in our pre-recorded episode, we talk to Madeline Connolly, all the way from Australia, about mental health and how it has affected those with and without disabilities. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Cool. How are you doing? <laughs> let's, let's... <laughs> yeah, I'm good. So yeah, um, it's been a bit of a, a rough day with some of my symptoms today, just being pretty tired and a bit nauseous. Um, just a day in the life with POTS, I guess. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's, yeah, it's pretty good on my end. Are you, are you, are you sick or anything or is it just, you're just having a, a down day? Yeah, just, just having a rough day. Um, there's just, you know, with a chronic illness when there's a bit of extra stress in your life, um, which there is at the moment, you know, I'm, I teach at uni and I have my own stuff to do at uni. Um, so yeah, just like natural life stress when that gets added on to a chronic illness, often it can make the symptoms of the chronic illness yeah. really flare up and, you know, to the point where the medication can't really cover it that well anymore. Um, so and, yeah. and plus, it's a, and plus it's a little bit crazy in Melbourne, Australia at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah. So, so Melbourne is, um, I think we're about to become the city in the world with the longest coronavirus lockdown. Um, so it has been Argentina, but I think we're about to overtake them because they've just ended their lockdown and we're still in it. And the numbers are pretty close <laughs> in terms of days. So we're at like, I want to say like 225 days, something like that in total of lockdown since um, March wow. last year. Um, yeah, and I believe Argentina was at like 2.30. <laughs> so, Buenos oh, Aires, that is. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Melbourne in particular, yeah, out of the Australian cities, Melbourne's the ones that's been in lockdown that length of time. Sydney's had a long lockdown this year, but they barely had any last year. We had it all through last year. I mean, um, you could probably try and apply for a Guinness World Record on the back of so that. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think, I believe Buenos Aires <laughs> has gotten some sort of, you know, um, record for it and we're about to overtake them. So, <laughs> and right, then, yeah, congratulations. Had, yes, thank you. And then, yeah, on top of that, we've had riots here recently about COVID and vaccination laws and that sort of thing. Um, really quite violent things going on. And lucky for me, it all kicked off two blocks away from my home. So, <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you've got front row seats. I have to search. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, although I was going to say, luckily that spread all around the city, but it's not really lucky, is it? It's just lucky in my no. personal case, not in my <laughs> space. But yeah, it's still just like all over the news all day, every day. And, you know, our case numbers are rising. And, you know, I, obviously Australia's had this thing about wanting to completely eliminate COVID here. So we've wanted zero cases. So when we see, you know, cases in the high hundreds and it's not like we have particularly huge populations for the amount of space we have as well. So like, you know, all the cities are very, very far apart. And so like, you know, each city is basically its own little island or country, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, when you see your city of like 5 million people, you know, going up into the, you know, many hundreds, I think we got up to 700 and something today, which is the most cases we've ever had, you know, it's just like, oh, this thing's just not ending, even though we're in lockdown. And like, yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, it's not such a concern. I'm fully vaccinated now. And, um, you know, I don't really mind staying inside that that much, but, um, you know, it just gets boring. <laughs> yeah. There's only so much you can do indoors. There's only so much Netflix yeah. you can watch. Absolutely. And, um, and as well, I think it's just like, I find stress really contagious. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I find like if other people are stressed out and talking about how hard lockdown is for them, then suddenly it feels harder for me when I might have just been chilling at home. Yeah. Otherwise, that makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, I feel that way about social media. I know if I look, if I'm yeah. having a good day, and especially Facebook, not so much Instagram. I think Instagram's a bit more selective in what we want to see. Um, yeah. But I think with uh, especially social media in regards to Facebook, if I open it up, because I have a lot of my like, school friends and stuff like that on there, mm-hmm. um, and you tend to find that negativity is a bit more prevalent on Facebook. So you see someone writes yeah. some other oh, rubbish. At the moment, we're going for a fuel crisis in the UK. I don't know if you've heard about that. No, I haven't. No. no. <laughs> so it's not necessarily. It's like last year with the with the with the food crisis. It was like, oh, everyone's in lockdown, so everyone went out and bought loads of toilet roll, and it was like, yeah, that yeah, happened so, here as well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so it was, it was crazy. So at the moment, um, the, the media said that some of the fuels got getting held up at uh, at the depots and stuff because of lack of lorry drivers. And honestly, like walking this morning, every single petrol station is rammed with people <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, I mean, people lucky. to get out and walk use their bikes <laughs> i mean lucky lucky enough i've got the foresight i've always kept my my truck full uh well i, I never let it go below half a tank so i'm, I'm good for a couple yep. of weeks so um but for most people they obviously gone out and panic bought petrol now which in turn <laughs> creates creates the problem because there wasn't a problem but now there's been a problem created because of people yeah. mass buying and the same thing with the tissue paper and i think one thing that affected me so i'm digressing a little bit um I've, I've got a dog um, that's got major allergies so uh, one of the things last oh. year for me was was brown rice like he can only have like certain meats and brown rice to fill it out um mm. and everyone was buying brown rice who buys brown rice no one buys brown rice <laughs> like maybe a few bodybuilders and a couple of health conscious people that you know have that new year new me thing like might buy a brown rice but everyone was buying the brown rice i was like for god's sake just need brown rice. Yeah. so um yeah i've i've just i've just tried to ignore that sort of stuff because i'll get myself wound up again and get annoyed at, the, <laughs> at humanity um yeah cool uh, so so obviously we're having a conversation today um about mental health you've uh you contacted yeah. me on instagram and we did have a conversation the other day. Um, I'm just more so talking for my viewers now listening. So uh, anyone listening, we had a conversation the other day um, that was through Instagram, but it obviously got broken up due to signal issues and the fact that I had a client as well and just turned up for a session. Um, but yeah, we rearranged it today to have a conversation more about mental health and uh, especially for myself, you're doing your PhD, but with myself and how it's affected some of my clients with uh, where I work with obviously individuals with disabilities um yeah yeah so um if we could do like a recap i guess and uh, talk a little bit about yourself yeah, and what you're doing and just yeah cool yeah so i'm sort of in my final year of my phd now um i'm at the university of melbourne in australia um and um i'm looking at basically how symptoms of anxiety and depression whether or not they occur in actual anxiety and depression or whether you're like subclinical or even if you have another diagnosis but you just happen to have symptoms of anxiety and depression as well um anyway how those symptoms which are very common and especially common during um you know this covid era um how those interact with um exercise habits so does your exercise help those symptoms and does do they start to go away when you exercise or do those symptoms actually stop you from exercising? Like might you feel too anxious or too depressed to actually start exercising or to go for your run that day or go to the gym that day or, um, or what have you. So that's what my research is really about. Um, so um, for the most part, my thesis is looking at that in the general population, but I do have a um, one study where 
I compare people in the general population to a sample of people with chronic pain. I haven't got results from that yet, unfortunately, which is um, slightly annoying because that's like the most exciting thing I'd love to share. But um, yeah, the rest of it, I can I can speak to a little bit, um, you know, about how, yeah, about how people do feel when it comes to um, exercising either, yeah, in ways that it benefits their mental health or in ways that their mental health is a barrier to actually starting a program or continuing with a, a program. Yeah, so um, obviously, from it's, it's with with any of this research you're doing, it's it's quite difficult. It takes a long time, doesn't it, to build up mm -hmm. that, that case study so you can uh, so you can see how it affects people. <coughs> Excuse me, I will, yeah. I will mention um, I have got a cold today as well. So um, for my listeners, if you hear me coughing and spluttering, that's exactly why. Uh, not COVID, I've been tested. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, so for yourself, from from what you've seen in the research you've collected, um, have you seen that correlation? Which 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 affects which? So is it the fact that the no, depression or the, the mental health issues affect the fact of exercising or is it vice versa? Yeah, so it goes both ways. It does go both ways. Um, what I generally have found so far is that pretty much everyone across the board seems to really agree that exercise is beneficial for parts of their mental health. You know, that a lot of people do agree that it helps reduce their daily stress, it helps daily mood, um, helps reduce daily worries, all of these things that, um, you know, that if they snowball, they can, you know, snowball, snowball really fast. Um, and so a lot of people, I guess, um, you know, I, I guess over the years um, we've had, especially in Western countries, we've had really effective public health messaging about that. Um, and perhaps it's also coming from people's own personal experiences as well. So people are very, um, you know, very, uh, I guess, yeah, accepting of that, that exercise does have these benefits for our mental health. Whether or not people actually believe that it will, um, I guess, um, you know, take away an entire condition is sort of another question. Um, and that's not really the purpose of my research either. The purpose of my research is more like, does it help you? And if it does help, which, which parts of your mental health does it help? Um, that's, that's more my exact question. Um, cause it, when it comes to, um, mental health, and I suppose a lot of different health diagnoses, um, you know, can sort of fall in this trap, but particularly with mental health, because there's no, like, you know, there's not like a blood test for it, or, you know, you can't mm. just go like, oh, well, you've got that number. So you must be depressed. Like it's very much based on how that person feels in comparison to how they normally feel or how they would like to feel. And so it's very like much a personal thing. So yeah, you could fill out a form of depression and anxiety symptoms and it might look low to a clinician. You know, they might go, oh, well, your number's not very high on this, but you're normally a super happy person. And this little bit of sadness is actually really affecting you. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of this, you know, these subclinical cases where these people could really benefit from some type of help and support you know, whether that's counselling, even medication, who knows, like, well, maybe not for very low level, but you get where I'm going with this, you know, um, or yeah, more encouragement to, you know, pick up and, and continue with their exercise programs. Um, but because, you know, there's a bit of a focus around actually having a diagnosis on something when, at least when it comes to research in the real world, you know, if you went to your doctor and you said, oh, I'm not feeling, feeling that great, you know, they, they would probably suggest things for you to do regardless of whether or not they were going to give you an actual diagnosis, especially when it comes to these common things like anxiety and depression. 
But when it comes to research, like I really wanted my research to reflect that in the real world. I didn't want to say, okay, I'm just going to get these people with only anxiety and depression. And if their scores on a scale go down from 15 to five, then suddenly they're not depressed anymore. Like, you know, it's like, well, that's not really, <laughs> that's not really how it, how it's working. Like I, yeah. I really want to get an idea about how people are actually feeling towards exercise um and yeah a lot of what's not done in the field as well is yeah it's this very medical thing of saying okay we have this group of people with depression for example let's basically try to get them be not depressed like they don't care about the actual symptoms that are changing they just care about what is this person depressed now yes will they be depressed be depressed later hopefully not um and so I guess yeah I want my research to be a little bit more realistic than that and um, you know, people know as well, like I know with myself, if I'm feeling a bit anxious, like I can feel anxious in different ways, right? Like you can feel that anxious where like mentally you're kind of okay, but you might have like a bit of a knot in your stomach or some pain in your chest or something. And then, you know, taking some deep breaths and really trying to relax your body is going to help. Or you might have that bit of anxiety where your body's fine enough, but your mind is just racing with thoughts. And then it's a chance to like, you know, talk yourself out of it kind of thing or distract yourself. And so, you know, naturally, if we're in tune with ourselves, we have these different coping mechanisms for different symptoms. Mm. Um, and so surely, you know, we should think about treatment options that are a bit more formal, like exercise for, as one example. Surely we should think about them more like that. But so far, the, you know, the research doesn't really look at it that way. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of like a primary interest of mine is, is basically getting I guess both the public both people with um you know any type of mental health symptoms but also you know any type of clinician that either works with people with symptoms of anxiety and depression or they work in exercise fields you know getting these conversations started about you know how a person is affected by their mental health and how you know exercise can help them or also you know the reasons they might not want to exercise that have to do with their mental health that you know, it's the type of thing, maybe if you don't ask someone, they won't tell you um, because, you know, there is still a bit of a stigma around it. We're getting so much better in this day and age, but there is still a bit of a stigma and a bit of a holding back of, well, maybe I'd rather tell, you know, my personal trainers asking me why I'm not, you know, doing my program. Maybe I'd rather tell them that, um, you know, that I've been sick or that I haven't had the time, I've had too much uni work on or whatever, rather than, you know, oh, I actually have a fear of doing it wrong or, you know, you don't want to look stupid or mm. I have a fear there's of, that sense um, of... There's that sense of pride, there's that sense of dignity. I mean, for myself as a yeah. man, like, I'll, I don't often... I mean, I've got better over the years, but talk about my feelings and how I'm feeling if I'm having a bad day and... You know what? I don't either. You It's so funny. I find it really funny, like, when men say things like this because I'm like, women are really, really proud too, especially, like, Western women. You know, we've been raised, you know, if, if we're young in our 20s, you know, we've often been raised with a woman... Women can do it all kind of thing. And yeah. so we're actually really proud as well. Um, and um, it's, yeah... It's it's really funny like in my in my family personally like I find that um it it is actually the men in my family that are a bit more open and us women where okay. we have to be tough and take it for everyone kind of thing so you've got um, your dad coming up to you going do you want to talk about your feelings and you're supposed to have <laughs> like go away dad I'm a strong independent woman <laughs> basically <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, and obviously, you know, we, we do in, in many countries have a crisis with men's mental health, but I also like pointing out that, well, I don't like pointing out because I don't like that this is true, but we also have a crisis with women's mental health as well. When it comes to anxiety and depression, um, there's actually a two to one ratio of women to men who experience anxiety and depression. So even though men might have it more extreme, um, and they might, um, you know, or they might bottle it in and, and you don't know about the anxiety and depression until it's at a really bad point for them. We're still mm-hmm. seeing like a lot of women out there who, um, you know, are struggling, uh, you know, across the spectrum of these disorders. And for me, especially when it comes to, um, you know, especially fitness and exercise, you know, we also know that women don't exercise as much as men um, and, and women do tend to have, you know, more body image concerns and, even marketing around exercise for women is all about losing weight for summer. Um, you know, for men, it might be about bulking up, but, um, you know, definitely, and, and there's definitely, you know, um, body dysmorphia that can go either way, the hypermasculine or the hyperfeminine, um, uh, you know, and eating disorders are becoming much more prevalent um, mm. in men too, unfortunately. Um, you know, I as think well a lot of this is exacerbated yeah. by the media. Also, oh, we had a conversation yeah, a moment ago totally. about, about the fuel crisis. <laughs> Like, who yeah. calls that? It was the media. If we wasn't told about it, we wouldn't have known anything about it. And I think that yeah. is the thing. We're, we're held to these standards this day and age through um, through marketing. And, like, if you, if, you, if, you, if you look at, like, a social media page, so, for example, you have, like, in my case, I'll give an example from my point of view. So, um, mm-hmm. like, you'll see a Pure Gym or, like, a, one of the big chain gyms. Not necessarily Pure Gym, but you'll see one of the big mm-hmm. chain gyms um, advertising. Now they'll have, like, a really, like, shredded man or a shredded woman, mm-hmm. like in the perfect angle perfect lighting looking great and they'll get thousands of likes where or you'll have and then you'll have someone like on the other end of it maybe someone like i'll work with with a disability or mm-hmm. uh, just you know your everyday person um and they'll get like two or three likes or, or that much engagement because it's not a desirable yeah. thing to look at because we've been told that this is this is the standard what we we need to we need to be at yeah and um yeah i think that's quite tough but don't get me wrong i'm not condoning sort of uh advertising or marketing on body image either way so for example like i know there's a big conversation at the moment like with uh, with like plus size models and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and uh like i don't think that's a great way to market either nor like when went through the um the, what was it the um the really slim slim models where it was like the heroin chic where it's right like really skinny mm-hmm. ladies and uh i think we've got to find that middle ground of how we can market it rather than it being one extreme or another um you know what i personally would love to see um you know adverts for gyms with a range of different body types yeah, because it would make yeah. me feel more accepted i'm someone that's struggled with body image over the years and um you know definitely have you know been worried about my weight being worried i'm not you know, I can't wear certain clothes at the gym. Um, you know, I have to look a certain way to even put foot in there. You know, when what they're trying to market is come in here so you will look a certain way. But what it actually says to people is you have to look that way before you even step yeah. foot in here, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's um, one of the questions I normally get uh, approached with when anyone's joining one of my classes or coming to train with me. is like, am I fit enough to start? I'm like, well, I mean, like any point you can be fit enough to start like you don't have to be mega fit to come and train with me you don't have to be like super skinny or like super jacked to come like it's you're starting at your own place you're starting at your own level you're not starting at this this uh iconic person you've seen on instagram's level or whatever you're starting at your own level so and it does create that barrier where people don't think they're quite ready to start so i'll i'll get myself a bit fitter before i start but 
Mm-hmm. We need to, you know, just get get in the door, just get in the door and get started. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, a lot of what the evidence from what I do says as well is, you know, people are um, also just, yeah, they're really scared about like not, not knowing what they're doing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, obviously, you know, one of the reasons people will come and see, um, you know, a trainer is that they, they want someone to guide them through and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, that could even be a barrier to that. You know, you might not want to look stupid in front of your trainer too. You might want to get you know, some extra or think you need to get some extra knowledge beforehand or some extra experience, um, you know. Um, and I think we've all had that moment, you know, the first time walking into a gym or one of the first handful of times you go in there and you're like, what is that machine? I'm never going to touch it. I'm just going to stick over here with my little yeah. dumbbell, you know, in the corner um, or just go on the treadmill for half an hour and then leave. Um, you know, we've all been there, but um that anxiety that you get coming into a new space, um, you know, is, is really strong for a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, when, when body image is thrown in, in the mix as well, um, you know, of course it's, it's, it only gets amplified. So how have you personally found yourself? Like, cause obviously you, you briefly mentioned at the start of having POTS. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, uh, for the audience, what is POTS? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good question. <laughs> um, yeah, so POTS stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia yeah. Syndrome. So there's a bit of a like a medical background I, I personally have and a lot of people with POTS are quite similar to me. So um, I was born with a condition called hypermobility spectrum disorder. Um, it's basically the same thing as Ehlers-Danlos um, syndrome. Um, there's just like a small difference in t- terms of the types of symptoms that you get. Um, but it's, it's a very, very similar thing. So I have super bendy, flexible joints, all of that. Um, my skin's quite stretchy too. Um, and, uh, the hypothesis is as well that my blood vessels are also stretchy. We can't really okay. tell that obviously because they're inside me, but yeah, <laughs> um, unless you've that, got them out inside yeah. testament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll just, I'll just show you one right now. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely like, you know, show you some things with my hands right now, like my thumb, that doesn't hurt me at all. And my fingers go all the way back like that. Um, and that's no pain. I can see I can do it. On one hand, I can actually, I have a similar sort of ability to pull that thumb right down, but this side, yeah. uh, still a bit flexible, but not as flexible as that side. So maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, I've got that. Got a little, yeah, a little bit of hypermobility. Well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got that in every single joint. Um, it's just mm-hmm. elastic. Um, I was having my thumb. It's not, no, no other joint, just my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've got it. Yeah, every finger, even my elbows will sort of, um, I don't know if you can see. Lock that. Yeah, too. a little bit too far. Yeah, my knees bend backwards, um, you know, everything. Um, and so me and yoga is just like the funniest thing. It's just like, what is she doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> is she broken? Um, actually to the point where, um, like my doctor told me I can never go to yoga. She was like, that is just a recipe for disaster. You're already flexible enough. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, you'll just stretch out your joints and your ligaments will go saggy basically. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to what happens when it comes to pot. So yeah, hypermobility is something I've, I've obviously had my whole life. It's just a completely genetic thing that you're born with. Um, and POTS is basically something that can can happen to a lot of people with hypermobility or Ehlers-Danlos. And it's where your cardiovascular system and your um, nervous system basically dysfunctions entirely. So it's what's called an autonomic dysfunction, meaning all your 
autonomic, um, you know, actions in your body, they can just be turned off and on, you know, yeah. at your body will basically. Um, so it's like your heart rate, your breathing, your digestion, all, all different things like this can be affected by the yeah. autonomic nervous system. Um, yeah, your your brain cognition, um, coordination, um, yeah, any any major organ function, anything. Um, so yeah, I last year, um, yeah, during during the lockdown um became quite sick um I'd been sick in a similar way to this once before when I was a teenager and I had I, do you guys in the UK do you call it glandular fever as well mono what they call in the states Epstein-Barr yeah. maybe anyway. we give it a different <laughs> name but I, I know what you're talking about I know what you're talking whatever about. you want to call that <laughs> the or the kissing disease if you even want to call it that um I had that as a teenager and I was very very sick when I got that a lot of people are but yeah I, I was very very knocked out by that um I missed a lot of school um and um I was just like constantly out of breath from it um constantly dazed and confused just tired all the time all the things you'd kind of expect from that so we just put it down to that um but of course yeah not everyone with um with mono or whatever you want to call it um does get yeah the dizziness and the being out of breath which for me is a is a sign to say that my heart's uh, i'm in tachycardia my heart's going really fast um and you can hear even now i get a little bit breathy when i speak as well um but yeah once once i've recovered from that when i was in school i didn't really experience um much of it again until yeah last year so I was 25 so that was that would be eight years since I'd had it in high school eight or nine years um and um yeah I was just suddenly very very tired um and I was tired to the point where yeah it just felt like my body didn't work anymore so I was bed bound a lot of the time if I tried to get up I would collapse um I could barely like go to the shops by myself. Um, if I did go to the shop, I'd have to go to the very, very closest one. You know, I couldn't go to the biggest supermarket down the road. I'd have to go to the, you know, the, the closest convenience store or, or whatever nearby because I just needed that energy. I was energy deficient. Um, and yeah, I was constantly out of breath every time I was walking, standing, trying to even, you know, I was trying to keep up home exercises you do when you're in lockdown. Um, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, I'd get through maybe five minutes and I'd just be on the floor, on the floor like gasping. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just was completely, um, I guess. Everything was out of whack. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really difficult and um so yeah for a while because I was just saying to my doctors like oh, I'm just really really tired I don't know what's going on you know we didn't really know what was going on for a while until I told them about these collapsing episodes that started happening more and more where you know I'd be standing doing something maybe I'd be cooking or like doing laundry whatever and I would um you know I'd be standing in one space. Yeah, let's say I'm cooking. I'm standing in one spot and then I walk to get another ingredient and suddenly I fall over and I can't get back up. Um, I just lose all, all my muscle weakness and I just, you know, I'm stuck on the floor. Um, I'm fine. I'm conscious. But um, a lot of people with POTS, they do faint. I personally just get this presyncope um, and just have these collapsing episodes. 
um, where I just, yeah, have a blood pressure plummet and my body just goes down <laughs> and I just yeah. sit on the floor <laughs> or lie on the floor if it's that bad as well. Sometimes I can't even have my head up and I need to lie down. So what that's called is something called orthostatic intolerance. And what that means is basically like orthostatic being standing, being intolerant of standing. Um, so basically, yeah, being allergic to gravity, uh, in other words. Um, <laughs> Damn it, it's and... the worst place to be on Earth if you're allergic to gravity. <laughs> yeah, I should have just gone to space last year. Um, yeah, so when I was um, describing all of that to my doctors, it, it clicked for them that it was probably something to do with my nervous system, with my heart rate. And so they asked me to, you know, last year everything was on telehealth um, here in Melbourne. And so um, they asked me to actually come into the clinic um, so they could do some assessments on me. And the first thing that my doctor says when I walk in the room is he just asked me, you know, are you hypermobile? Do you have hypermobile joints? And I was like, oh, I guess so. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can stretch. And he's like, can you touch your toes for me? And I was like, sure, like that's nothing. Um, and then, you know, asked me to do a few different things like the thumb to the wrist thing, a few different things like that. Um, and he's just like, I know what you have. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to test your heart rate so I can prove it, but I know what you have. And so we tested my heart rate then. So I um, sat down and then stood up. And um, when I stood up, I was in tachycardia. So my heart was um, beating much faster standing up than it was when I was sitting down. And that is, you know, the short story of how I got sort of, or the long story I should say of how I got my sort of preliminary diagnosis of, um, yeah, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, basically meaning when your posture is standing up, your heart beats really fast. Um, and it's called that, it's just a symptom of what it is um being called that it's a bit strange it's it's almost like if we decided to call depression like sad disorder or something like that or like mm. crying disorder you know it's not actually really descriptive of what it is it's so much more than just your heart rate like I personally can't really feel my heart rate when it goes super fast like I, I have quite low blood pressure so I don't feel um I don't really feel it beating unless my blood pressure is a bit higher so the only sign I get that my heart is fast is being out of breath um, and so, you know, and sometimes there are other explanations for that as well. Maybe you're walking quickly or whatever. Um, maybe you've had too much coffee, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I really didn't know that I was in tachycardia. Um, and, but I was experiencing all these other symptoms that were really very debilitating, you know, like that really extreme fatigue. Um, you know, I was sleeping all the time and I still do actually, um so yeah at that time last year before I really knew how to manage the illness I was sleeping 12 hours every night for months oh. I still do often sleep 12 hours or more so a lot of nights I'll sleep 10 hours still um so it's an improvement <laughs> it's not every night <laughs> you've 12 sh hours you've, sh you've, sh you've shaved off two hours it's not bad yeah well yeah I mean yeah it's it's hard um sleeping 12 hours a night because you only like you're sleeping as much as you're awake I was basically in hibernation you know yeah, yeah. um and so um yeah and, and yeah then this extreme exercise intolerance as well the dizziness the falling over I couldn't go anywhere like you literally could not take me anywhere because I would just fall over somewhere um <laughs> So, um, so is, this, is this predominantly how you develop this passion and interest for what you're doing um, through yourself and for like, the research you're doing? Is it, is it because of yourself, because you're trying to find out what, what, what is best? Is the exercise and is, is that causing the problems or is the, the, the chronic illness causing the problems? 
Um, so I was doing my PhD before POTS came right. into the picture. Yeah, so that was a bit of a crisis. <laughs> it was like, what do I do? Um, I'm really sick and I've got this whole PhD to do. Um, I can't exercise and I'm literally doing a PhD on exercise. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like yeah, you would be yeah. your own perfect case study, but you can't use yourself as a case study. But okay, I guess you can because there's probably people out there that that, that that struggle with the same situation as yourself where they can't exercise or it's like, or they need to find a, a, a exercise that's going to be beneficial, but maybe mm-hmm. not in the way yeah so that is one of the things that doing my research kind of reminded me of is that a lot of the kind of barriers to exercise obviously not all of them I really would get tired if I did exercise and I really would need to go have a nap or something but a a lot of that like barriers even to just starting small with exercise were in my head um it was a really it was a fear of being tired afterwards that was the worst thing Um, So, yeah, in terms of the PhD, where the idea for that actually came from was was the fact that exercise had helped me a lot with with my mental health um, Mm -hmm. in my, like, late teens, early 20s. Um, And and I'd found that, um, you know, trying to, I guess, discuss with um, friends of similar ages, especially female friends, you know, how helpful it had been to me, a lot of them were really dismissive, um, okay. just really reluctant to exercise, reluctant to try. Um, and I kind of, I've just always wondered why that is. Um, you know, if someone's telling you that something's really helpful and you're struggling with the same issues, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person, if I'm struggling with something, I will try anything to make it better. Um, yes. And, um and yeah, so I just, I've just always struggled with, um, yeah, wondering why people might avoid exercise and wondering if that does have something to do with their mental health state. Knowing yeah, that for I'm... myself, you know, as, as I was mentioning before, I've definitely had those experiences myself before where I've been like, oh, I can't go to the gym because I don't look right for it. Or, mm. you know, I don't know what I'm doing yet with the weights and or the machines and I don't want to look stupid, you know, having these anxieties around exercise. Um, and also knowing that, you know, people with depression can have similar, um, you know, depressive symptoms at play as well. You know, the lack of energy, the lack of motivation, um, lack of, of pleasure and enjoyment in everyday activities that, that obviously can, um, you know, come come over to exercise too. So, um, yeah, that, that was just something I got, I got really interested in that, that whole idea of, you know, if, if we have these mental health issues that can stop us in our daily activities, can it also stop us doing things that would help our mental health? And, I think it will be a lot yeah. down to like personality types as well. So well, yeah, sure. <laughs> sort, of, sort of working within the fitness industry, you do see a, a variety of different personality types. Now um, I can work with someone that, as you said, like, is, is it, um, what's the barrier holding back? And you had some friends be very dismissive. Now, um, from what I've seen, and this is not me attacking anyone or blaming anyone, uh, but victim mentality is a very real thing. And um, it's almost a bit of a cop. You can use it as a bit of a cop out of like why you can't do things um, sometimes. Not necessarily they're sitting there thinking, right, I'm using this as an excuse, but sometimes it's easier to use that as your crutch as to say like, because if you do have them anxieties um, about going to the gym, which are very real, like I've been into a gym before mm-hmm. and sometimes felt a little bit uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And as someone, that's someone that works in the gym and this is not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. And, and, um, and surely the because... first time you ever set foot in one was terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, 
I remember when I first started, I was this lanky, skinny, weird looking dude. And I was like, oh, I do not fit in here. I feel very awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, because my, I was never really sporty as a kid and uh, I never really found my foot in with fitness until I was a little bit like in my uh, 18, 19. Um, and yeah, 20. I was the same way as well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, obviously with this, oh, you, you have them anxieties already in place for the gym. And now if you're obviously suffering from a cr- chronic illness, now you can almost use that as the reason why you don't train. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm sick, I can't yeah. train. Um, whereas it's harder to turn around and go, you know what, I'm, I'm actually just really scared. <laughs> I'm scared to yeah. go into the gym. Um, I don't yeah. feel great. I feel I'm yeah, very so insecure like, yeah. about my body. Yeah, what I would just hear from my friends is just the blanket, oh, I can't be bothered. And it's like, you know, you try to dig deeper and they just don't let you in. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I've been just really curious about that for a while. And so, you know, when I first started, I guess, looking into it as a particular, you know, idea of, of, of research, I actually started with like search terms of like exercise reluctance. And, um, and I kind of realized as I was searching through things that, um, you know, a lot of the language that is used in the research and the language I now use is things like these barriers to exercise. It's actually being a lot more gentle to people um, and, and, you know, reminding yourself, reminding others that, yeah, these are barriers that people have and, and you know, maybe they're, um, whether or not they're kind of spoken about, they're there and they're things that, you know, do do present as barriers rather than someone just being reluctant. Um, you know, there's there's maybe something deeper down and maybe we need to give people a little bit more, uh, more credit. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not ever the optimist, basically. <laughs> this whole this whole research there's always this yes we can definitely get people who are super depressed into the gym um (laughs) (laughs) we just need to try a little harder we need to understand them um which yeah i mean there's a lot of idealism there there obviously um but um you know i guess when it comes to being someone in research in the sciences in mental health fields like you know maybe a little bit of being idealistic can go a long way who knows um but um, you know, I think, yeah, we certainly live in a culture where people are, are guarded, um, you know, and, and we, we touched on that before, you know, we're proud people and a lot of people are, are the same. Um, and so it's about, yeah, I guess a lot of my research is about trying to dig deeper with people in a way that they might not bring it up themselves. So, you know, basically the one of the main parts of my research is... Um, that I've sort of, I've created this um, scale that people can use to, um, I guess, like tick yes or no, agree, strongly disagree, whatever, um, to, you know, a list of um, mental health related barriers and benefits to exercise. So yeah, the most sort of common ones um, that will relate to, I guess, the, the, the largest amount of people about yeah, these quite general symptoms of anxiety and depression, you know, feeling worried in a gym or exercise space, feeling nervous that people are looking at you, feeling nervous you're doing the wrong thing, not having the motivation, not having the energy um, as, as potential barriers. And then the flip side on all of those for potential benefits, getting more energy from it, getting more motivation, feeling happier in life, um, feeling less worry and stress. Um, yeah, all of these things is basically you know, um, whether or not it's really used in any kind of, um, you know, clinical or fitness practice is, is another thing. But, you know, maybe if this is out there a little bit more, people might have some of the ideas about the, the questions to ask or, 
even if you don't directly ask someone a question, it could just be like, oh, well, do you want me to show you that? And we'll go through it together one more time before I like, I let you go on your own kind of thing. Um, and really just like, you know, I guess stepping in and, um, you know, kind of getting that reminder that we all need when we work as professionals in, in health or in fitness spaces that sometimes we do just like need to hold people's hands a little bit longer than what we think yeah. um, because they, you know, they're, they're new to the things that we're showing them. Um, and they'll get, you know, they might get more out of it if, if we're there just to, you know, hold their hand just that little bit longer um you know have their back just that little bit more you know I guess that's a uh, you know a lot of the way I kind of feel about it um <laughs> it's really about yeah providing supports and, and and reminding people that yeah we've got all these benefits to it and I know you have barriers too but let's let's squash those and then we'll get to the benefits yeah I mean that's for me that's why I'm quite big into group training as well in regards to sort of having that support system for people um so I run outdoor classes where it's like a group we have a group chat and all that sort of stuff and I work for S&C gyms where it's very much that community style um environment like very much like CrossFit gyms it's a culture it's and we want to mm -hmm. be a part of something and it's a uh, it's nice in them environments because you do have that support of each other in a similar situation. Now, um, going into the gym, as we said, it's, it's scary. Like going into the gym, if you've never been into the gym, you don't want machines to use. You, no one wants to look silly. Um, mm -hmm. But from my experience, having that support network of, uh, of people in group training, I've seen a massive benefit within that. Um, and that's some of the things I'm starting to implement with what I'm doing now with, uh, with my uh, business alternative movement. Um, I work with a lot of people with disabilities um, and, I'm trying to create now off the backs of that because it can be quite, and one, one of the other reasons I created the podcast because um, the conversations I was having on a one-to-one -one basis with people was like, I was like, oh, so what support networks you with outside of our sessions? And it's like, oh, what do you mean? Like, do you go to any groups? Oh, no, there's nothing out there for this sort of thing. Um, oh, okay. So have you, have you ever been to anything? Oh, yeah, we used to go to this club, but I tend to find that from my experience from speaking to these people is um, disabilities, especially uh, get lumped under one um one umbrella and the same thing would be with like mental health issues it's, it's at very early yeah. stages there's no blood test for it so it's all lumped under that one umbrella and, and that's where i sort of come off the back so okay <laughs> something needs to be created for this something needs to be put into place to create that community and that support and now you're no longer just going to the gym you're going to meet your friends mm -hmm. and train you're going to have that that outlet as well and uh, same thing yeah. with the podcast i wanted to create um, a space where people can come and tell their stories and uh, and hopefully someone can come along and find one of these podcasts listen to it resonate with it and go you know what i'm not alone and they can even reach out to that person and how how, how yeah. you dealt with it um one of the ladies i did um i did interview on my podcast was uh she's uh, from america california and uh, she's got a condition called uh, sca6 which is cerebellar ataxia um so mm -hmm. cerebellum uh, cerebellum is um in charge of like motor control within the body and uh she's got a uh, get my words out a degenerative uh condition within that so she's slowly losing certain functions and yeah. uh her first thought was uh she and, and how i come across her was uh she created an instagram page in order to share her story and share her experience in order to help other people which i thought was fantastic and and because i personally didn't find anything out there on that similar condition. Um, and I've got a client yeah. personally as well. That's why I was, uh, I resonated quite a bit with it because I have a client with the same issue. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought there's nothing out there for him. There's nothing out there for anyone else. 
Mm-hmm. This is something I need to create. I need to make this a, like a yeah. platform in order to give these people an outlet and give these people a place to come and a resource for them to come and, and learn about their condition and not feel like they're alone and they've got that yeah. support network if need be. Um, and, and likewise with my Instagram page. Now I'm, I'm still in the very early stages of why I have my plans and my goals, uh, but I've got a very clear vision in, in how this is going to go. So um, yeah. yeah, I feel like, that is, uh, as I said, like with the support, I feel like support is key, not yeah. just through a trainer or uh, a doctor, but peers or people in similar Absolutely, situations. Yeah. So whether that means that we have to create something in order to to facilitate that or, or I don't know. I don't know how that would be. Um, as I said, yeah. it's very, very early stages. Yeah, well, that's actually why I started <laughs> my page as well. So on my page, my page is even newer than yours. Um <laughs> And so I'm really trying to, you know, get a bit more information out there about how you can actually work out when you have, when you have a, you know, a condition called orthostatic intolerance, what on earth do you do? Do you do, you know, all Pilates, like all of the workouts there are Pilates and I know Pilates has not worked for my body. I find it very intense. You don't get a lot of breaks and rest with it. You know, you have to do small movements multiple times. And I find that very fatiguing and my heart rate just skyrockets. Even though I'm on the floor, it gives me migraines. It's not for me, you know. I really wanted to get back into lifting weights. That's what I did prior to getting POTS. Um, And I'm finding that's working so well for my body and for my recovery from POTS as well. So Um, with with yourself, uh, you obviously mentioned that Pilates is is causing a problem. (laughs) Now with POTS, is is it a particular energy system that's affecting it? So, what for example, so so for, <laughs> like so, so, for, so, for, no, so for example, when um, when we do weights, we use a different energy system to when we uh, do cardio. So when we right. do weights, we're using the CP system, so creatine phosphate, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is our short term. So, like you know, if you, for example, doing a bicep curl, yep. at a certain point, it starts to burn. You can't do it anymore. Yep. That's when yeah, yeah. your creatine stores have have uh, have, have mm-hmm. gone. So they need to replenish. Um, however, if you go for a run you're using more of an oxygen. So you're using oxygen. Yeah, yeah. Or an, an oxygen no, I've got system. you now. I just thought you meant on a neurobiological no, sense, no, which is no, like no, my no, background, no, no, no. <laughs> getting in there. Um, no, no, no. I was just sort of, uh, so for yourself, I'm just, I'm just thinking for, for anyone listening. So um, they're yeah, I think it would be this. different depending on the case. Um, I think it would be really different depending on what your POTS <laughs> symptoms are because, so my case with POTS having extreme fatigue, other people have the exact reverse where, so like with me, basically my adrenaline is shut off. I can't access it unless I take medication. Oh, well, okay. um, and I, that's why I have no energy. Like I just have nothing. There's no like internal energy. Um, I get a little bit of energy from food and water, but that's really it other than obviously medication. So when I was not medicated, it was just, I was really running on empty all the time. Um, but other people have the opposite problem where they have their adrenaline just gone off the charts and they have way too much energy way too much anxiety um you know they're just the complete opposite to me and so it just really depends you know basically it's like you know if you have an on off switch for every function in your body pots can flick them whatever way it wants um so yeah it would be so dependent on the exact person and what their nervous system was Mm. doing to them um yeah so i can't yeah cardio is very very hard for me yeah, so you was better off, as you said, like you you found weights a lot more beneficial. Yeah, but by the same yeah. token as well, I also <laughs> just enjoy it more as well. It's what I've always done. It makes me feel like me. 
Um, and you know, when it comes to exercise and exercise adherence, as, as you would know, like it's, that's all about enjoyment. You're not going to, it's attacking the tedium yeah. aspect of it. So making sure it's not a tedious, um, task because no one wants to do something they don't want to do. Like if you have the choice, but also, of not to like, go you know, to... you just have preferences too. Right. And so, yeah. you know, if there's one type of, you know, it's even just like, you could even say the same thing about like music genres, right? Like yeah, I can listen to country music, but I'd really rather listen to rap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it, it's like, it's about preferences. It's like, you know, if, if you have to have, yeah, like one channel turned on all the time, like not all the time, but you know what I mean? Like if you have to, you know, have something turned on, like you'd rather have it be the thing that you like. Um, yeah. and, and also that's the same for our, for our mental health as well. Like that's one thing research is, is really showing is that, you know, for a while it was all like, oh, physical activity is the best thing for your mental health, any physical activity, you know, even if you take the stairs instead of the elevator, like that's better for your physical, for your mental health. And it's like, that's actually not true. Um, what we are finding now is that the best thing for your mental health when it comes to. Um, your physical activity is doing exercise that you enjoy as a leisure activity um, and so I'm sure that's a big part of the picture for me wanting to lift weights as well is that I know that I really enjoy this activity I want to do this activity so it's better for my mental health and then you know if you have good mental health then um, that helps your nervous system too and, and I have a nervous system disorder so that's probably a big part too. And then obviously the, the other side of the coin is the physical effects of building muscle actually does help your blood flow and your circulation, which is a thing that's particularly bad in my case of POTS. Not everyone with POTS, but in my personal case, I have really awful blood flow, um, just very low blood pressure. Um, my blood just pulls and doesn't really move properly. So actually- well, so I'll be doing... to, As you said, like you've got elasticity within the- uh within your vessels and so yeah. that's probably uh, well what I can imagine just speculation by the way I'm not a doctor mm -hmm. uh, but if they've got a lot of give you're not able to build up that same amount of pressure within within the vessels if that makes sense because obviously that's yes the, that, that's the, exactly the it so, yeah. yeah yeah so so yeah so, so they just the don't they just don't pump properly so basically um <laughs> yeah what happens is um I'm actually like I'm, I'm sitting here and I've actually got my feet risen under the table you obviously can't okay. see but um i always sit, sit with my feet raised because if my feet are on the floor my blood just goes into my feet and it doesn't come back up um if it's yeah so i'm basically like you know sitting with my legs straight out so now that gives me a bit better um a bit better access to the blood it's easier for the blood to come back if my legs are just um parallel to my waist um but yeah if they're on the floor no I'll just lose all my words I'll lose all <laughs> all my really? thoughts I'll get a bit funny um yeah so it's just yeah this this really poor um yeah vascular tone throughout my body um and so having more muscle mass helps with that and of course you know if you do it right then of course, you know, lifting weights and doing strength training, um, you know, for hypertrophy, hypertrophy is going to help much more than something like Pilates, which does build muscle, just not as quickly and as efficiently as, as weightlifting does. Um, so that's another benefit for me as well. And then the other benefit is that I don't have to put myself through <laughs> cardio if I don't want to, because cardio yeah. is just really hard. It's, I just personally find it really fatiguing. 
Um, so, and I get enough cardio just from standing up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that's actually not true. Um, but (laughs) you know, I, I go for walks. So I do, I do get cardio in, I, I, Mm. I make sure, you know, I get a good walk in every day and I get that, um, steady state cardio, but, um, yeah, I don't, um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I find like, yeah, I've tried going for runs and, and a bit more intense cardio and it really just wears me out, um, you know, a bit too much. And I don't find that with strength training personally, but I think that's something that would be different for a lot of people with POTS, depending on what, you know, the nature of, you know, your nervous system is doing. Um, it's, it's, it's an extremely complex disorder and it's very, very personal because your nervous system has so many different functions and you know as i said things can just be turned on and off mm. um, and if, so- yeah, if it's not firing firing correctly it's like um it's almost a guessing game like if you was to go to a trainer and it's like you wouldn't be able to follow maybe a, a linear program or anything it would have to be something that would be changing daily like you come into the session today because your nervous system's firing off a certain way okay we can't do this we have to deviate from the program and maybe try something slightly yeah. different or I personally find well at least now that my symptoms are, are, are very well managed I do personally find that I can train in the same way all of the time but the way so you I can, might you can follow things. a structured program that's yeah yeah I, I might just like drop off rep, reps and sets if I'm more tired but that's what the average person does anyway right like you know if you haven't had a good night of night of sleep and you still want to go to the gym you might just you know take off a couple of sets here and there, not do the whole thing, but you'll do most of it. Right. Um, and that's just the way I adapt to. Um, yeah. In fact, I don't think that my training is really apart from obviously just being less intense than what it used to be and not being in the gym um, because of Melbourne lockdowns. Um, it's no differently structured to what I used to do a couple of years ago before pot. Just, just, just um, the intensity I'm- has changed slightly. Well, yeah, and and the main reason behind that is because I don't have access to a gym. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Um, I suppose the other the other reason behind it not being in, as intense as well is because I I do in, avoid you know these sort of at home variations. So you know if I wanted a you know if an average person wanted a more intense you know squat for example they might do a jumping squat and I I wouldn't do that. You know I'd rather just you know do a few more reps or something. Um, do them back to back, whatever. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of the basics of how I train, it's much the same as what it was a couple of years back. It's just, yeah, I'm at home, so I can't access the same weights as I would at the gym. Um, and yeah, when I go back to the gym, I will obviously start with lower weights, but I don't really see a reason why I couldn't still build up to higher weights again. Um, it, it'll take longer than, than what it used to, and I'll, I'll have to be more careful. Um, but I don't see any reason why I couldn't still still do that. Um, so, yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, and then, yeah, so in terms of me, I guess, um, you know, promoting what, what I do and how I do it, you know, to others with POTS is, is the fact that, yeah, most of what is promoted for POTS is Pilates exercises and great if that does work for a lot of people but for me yeah I don't enjoy it so I'm not going to stick to it and also when I have tried it with pots um you know even floor-based exercises something just goes wrong in my body and my heart rate goes through the roof and I get migraines and um so obviously that's not an outcome you want um and so yeah I just really learned to 
you know, get back into, um, yeah, strength exercises. Um, and yeah, just, just making sure I do them particular ways because, you know, I do find I get a lot more of that central fatigue. So I can't do a whole lot of compound movements, but I wouldn't have done that anyway. You know, um, you know, no one really wants to, well, unless, you know, you are super, you know, you do want to get things done in a, an efficient time. Like, you know, no one really wants to plan a program where every day you have like five compound movements, right. You know, so <laughs> Um, Might be a little bit too much doing five compound movements. Yeah, well, you never know. It depends what program you're doing. Yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but that probably wasn't going to be something I would have done anyway. So for me, it's just about having a good balance between, you know, the muscle groups so that, you know, I can certainly handle a localised fatigue, but just making sure that it doesn't get to the extent where I have a central fatigue. So, you know, I'd stay away from doing like a, you know, a full body split, for example, um, and instead go upper lower so that, you know, I can work on different muscle groups that, you know, at a different time, but, and then still not have the centralized fatigue that I tend to get when I do like a, you know, a full body day kind of thing. Um, so it's just like these little modifications like that, just, just knowing, you know, about how to reserve my energy, um, you know, get the most out of, um, get the most out of that particular program or workout or whatever. And then continue on with my day and, and my week and still have energy left in the tank. That's really what it's all about for me. And um, yeah, I haven't been able to do that with cardio. I haven't been able to do that with Pilates. Um, a lot of other things aren't open. So there's a lot of other things I can't try, but um, I have been able to keep that up with strength training. And for me, that's awesome. Um, that's, you know, that's all I could ever ask for. When I first got sick and thought I'd never be able to exercise again, I was, I was devastated and I really, you know, I was, I was really mad at healthy people who didn't exercise because I just thought what a privilege you have, you know, um, I would love to be in your shoes, but you know, now I've worked myself up to it. I don't feel that way anymore. I'm like, oh, well sucks for you, but you know, I can, I'm back to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of, yeah, how I sort of adapt things and, and my story of where, things have come from and and where they're going but I think it's totally possible you know in general for people to um you know if if you've had you know an illness come come in suddenly or an injury or something like that um come in suddenly I think it's totally possible to you know get back to what you love and it won't be exactly the same but you can get back to some version of it that you still like yeah I mean there's always an an alternative way to do things and I'll always go back to that word because that's that's why I'm on your shirt It's on my (laughs) t-shirt because um, there there is a way to do things, but it's uh, sometimes you might not be able to do it exactly the same as uh, everybody else. Like I I, I wouldn't want to use the term someone that's normal because what is normal life with with the same variations of people. Um, But yeah, it's just, and and that's what I like about what I do because every single different case is is a puzzle and I like puzzles and I like figuring things Mm -hmm. out. And it's like, okay, so I could have like three people coming to me with the same condition and all have to be approached slightly differently because of... uh, well, just just because where they're at generally or the, the severity of the condition and uh mm-hmm. it's just sort of uh, it's just talking taking a step back and have, having the having the guts to do it because i think that's a lot of things a lot of people are scared to advise um anything through worry that they're going to hurt the individual or they're going to wrongly yeah. advise them but you know like 
nine times out of ten, the person that's come to you is 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 open to suggestions and, and, and yeah. fully aware of their own condition and, yeah. and open to to failing because ultimately that's what we want to do. Like amount of times I've I've tried new things. Like I don't know. I remember when I first started doing handstands or handstand mm-hmm. press ups or handstand wall holds. Amount of times I've like fell on my head. Like but I was fully aware of the risk. Yeah. But um, and that's the thing. Like. Uh, the, the the overall health benefits of exercising definitely outweigh them short-term uh issues you could have like i remember i had a woman speak to me once and uh, she's uh, had arthritis in her thumb and um mm-hmm. a, co- a coach advised her to stop training and mm-hmm. i was like so she contacted me she said i've been advised to stop exercising because it's flaring my um my thumb up and the arthritis within the thumb and i was like okay i was like how often does it hurt she's like oh, it normally hurts a little bit after training some weeks is good some weeks is bad i'm like okay what are all the benefits of exercising compared to the pain that that causes you and she's like oh well i can i can walk without getting out of breath i can do all this sort of stuff my weight's managed i feel healthy i feel happy my mind's clear i was like okay so you want to give all that up just because you're having a little bit of pain in the thumb okay i suppose you're right i was like look sometimes we just got to push past that initial little problem because the yeah. benefits definitely outweigh the negatives in this situation i mean don't get me wrong if someone was having some serious implications from training i would say right okay you need yeah, to ease up let's go and see a doctor let's get this figured out let's yeah. make a plan of action i wouldn't just go oh you're, you're passing out every time you train just ignore it keep training <laughs> have some salt and water you'll be fine yeah so it's just finding that that, that level and, and i think ultimately that's what your research is doing as well right it's, it's sort of finding yeah i mean yeah it's, it's coming from a mental health perspective but i mean you know mental health can really affect our physical health where you know if especially with depression or anxiety as well you know you have that extra level of fatigue <laughs> um you know in particular and you know as well they have physical symptoms in each um especially anxiety has all those physical symptoms um that you get and you you, you can you, you can feel physical pain like through anxiety like i, I myself i'm a nightmare yeah. i will google something if i'm feeling some symptoms and it will make it go into a spiral like if i <laughs> feel a, a little pain in my side i'll google it and then nine times out of ten it says something dodgy on google and it freaks you out and then i start feeling the pain yeah. elsewhere and i think last week i had it as well and i was getting pains in my chest and i was like oh what's this what's this and I started googling it It was getting worse because I was googling it and then um, eventually I just thought you know what I think I'm just being a bit silly now I think it is my anxiety and you know what I've been fine I've been fine since then yeah but yeah because I started to imagine I had all these problems wrong with me and I was like this is it game over I'm gonna die um I started to to develop yeah I mean there's yeah absolutely and there's there's both uh like a psychological aspect to that as well and then the psychological physical aspect is that of that where you know when we are anxious we do become a bit short of breath we take shallower breaths we don't take those deep breaths that help to relax our muscles you know when you go and see a physical therapist and they you know touch you in a in a sore spot and they tell you to you know take that big deep breath in and out and then it does help but you you don't do that by yourself when you're anxious and you've got that little bit of physical pain you keep just taking in those shallow breaths and it just doesn't help the body and then everything um you know goes in a, a really negative cycle downwards um a brief breathing super important like i'm i'm yeah I'm been really doing a lot of research into breathing and uh, you're, you're right we shallow breathe like how often do we take like deep breaths mm, we don't especially, life because... especially when we're anxious because that's yeah. an exact you know effect of the extra and he, he, adrenaline in our he, system is that adrenaline is telling us to take in small bits of oxygen at once. You know, it's this completely 
physiological process that anxiety puts us through. Um, it's, you know, literally our flight, flight or fight um, yeah, mechanism. Yeah, it's the paras parasympathetic, yeah. parasympathetic nervous system. Like breathing is super important to regulate that because you're not, mm -hmm. as you said, you're not getting the right amount of oxygen levels in the body. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it can just have a knock-on effect of so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, as well, that's another reason, um, you know, that I really love weight training as well to come back to that is that, you know, you have to focus on your breathing when you do that and you have to focus on your body movements. Um, you know, and the only other, um, exercise that I can really think that's like that is yoga. And that's something, as I mentioned before, my doctors told me not to do. So, <laughs> so for me, like, um, personally, you know, I find, uh, weight training can also be like this really meditative thing where I can just focus on my body, that mind to muscle connection, that breathing, um, you know, my posture, all of these things and, you know, take that hour out of my day. And, and that's what I get. I get this, you know, this sort of physical outlet um, and, and this time to be, you know, you know, energetic, but calm at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where, where do you hope your sort of research leads you? Are, you? are you looking at sort of like once you've built up enough like uh, data to, to, to try and create something off the backs of it or like a, are you trying to create like a support network or how, how are you sort of working yeah so I've, I've always been really interested in a career in science and research um well not always but like the last few years has really been um my goal so um yeah it's it's really lucky that in Australia we do have a number of really great um universities who look at a lot of these things both in terms of mental health and and physical health and the connection between them there are lots of groups you know looking at heart health and mental health cancer exercise mental health um there's a lot of different avenues that this could sort of take me with um you know doing more research in the future um, but one thing that I'm really passionate about and I guess why, you know, I'm getting more and more into, you know, being on social media is that I think the communication of these things is the most important thing. You know, I have so much knowledge that comes from being in this field that no one else knows. And I feel like everyone else should know this. And so, yeah. you know, if, if I'm generating all this new research and information, like I want it to get out there and I want people to be aware that, you know, you know, if you have these, I guess, when it comes to my research, if you have these mental health barriers and benefits to exercise, it's okay to talk about them because guess what? A lot of other people do too. You know, I think that perhaps that's about a bit of the conversation that's missing when people are, you know, do have gym anxiety and, and, and stuff like that is they think, well, other people are already in the gym. So they must have never had that anxiety or, you know, just as one example. And so my research shows, no, a lot of other people have this, you know, most people have it to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and my research so far, cause I haven't, um, I haven't gotten to my chronic pain data, but my research so far is general population. It's not people with clinical anxiety or depression. It's just general population. Some people in the general population, of course, do have anxiety and depression, um, but not, certainly not everyone will have a diagnosis within my, um, within my, um, uh, my samples. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think I really, you know, would just love to get that information out there first and foremost about, well, here's how people, you know, in the world, my, my samples are from Australia, the US, uh, UK and New Zealand. Um, here's how people in the world, you know, in these 
bigger Western countries. Here's how we are feeling about exercise, our, you know, our, our mood and anxiety, you know, surrounding exercise. Um, you know, if you feel the same too, it's good to know that, you know, others are feeling that too. And also, you know, there's, there's a way out and we also have all these benefits that other, you know, you and other people are feeling too. Um, so that's the first thing with um, my research. And then, yeah, in terms of next steps, I, I guess it's really just, you know, I've, I've developed over the course of, you know, um, being quite sick with POTS, this, you know, really huge interest in how physical health conditions, uh, chronic conditions can, um, you know, um, can, you know, overlap and intersect with mental health conditions and how they can make each other worse um, mm. and how much more support you do need when you have a physical health condition, um, you know, because you, you are going to have added stress from that. You are going to have um, emotional stress from that. And that's something I experienced. And, um, you know, finding online communities of other people with POTS and chronic illnesses um, you know, was really one of the things that was so beneficial to my men mental health and so beneficial to my recovery um, from POTS. Well, not that I have recovered, but, you know, getting towards recovery from mm. POTS. Um, and so, yeah, if I can do more research in that space as well, um, you know, I think that that would be really, you know, amazing because mm. I've, as I've discussed, I've also had my own experiences of these really unique mental and physical health barriers to exercise of, of worrying that if I do exercise, it's going to take up all my energy um, from my chronic illness or it'll make my chronic illness worse. Um, and these are things that everyone with a chronic illness thinks about, I'm sure, um, you know, so, um, or at least, you know, chronic illnesses that really do affect your energy levels, which <laughs> most of them do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if if that's research that needs to be done as well, then, you know, I, I'd be the perfect person to do it. Funding's the thing that's that you can't control <laughs> that and you can't control yeah. who's out there looking at what. While you're still in an early career stage, you need someone to above you to have your back. Um, so these things, you know, will probably be quite out of my hands until, you know, if I potentially sort of work my way up the ladder and then can control what I do and, and get my own funding. So that's one of the things about being really early in, in the career. You know, when you're a PhD student, you run your own project, but you're still, you know, in terms of the career spot prospects, you're still a student, you're still at sort of the bottom of things. So, um, you know, pushing past that, it's just, you get sort of more and more, I guess, independent with things as you go on. And so, yeah, you're still a little bit, I'm, I'll still be a little bit reliant um, on what um, others in the field are doing um, for the next few years of my career, but um yeah beyond that I think um definitely doing as much as I can with yeah chronic physical and, and mental illnesses um and and exercise and, and healthy behaviors um is really I guess where my passion is mm. and I think it's, it's it's even though it's been there's quite a, a fair amount of research on it all it's still not a lot in the grand scheme of things because we've, yeah. we're not living we're not living how we're meant to really um I had this conversation with someone the other day and uh technology the world has evolved a lot faster than we have as humans so um we're not sort of keeping up with it if that makes sense so uh, obviously like going back a few hundred years ago we've been a lot more active whereas now we can get the bus we can get a car we can we don't move mm -hmm. as much and so i think exercise is for everyone and uh, obviously as you mentioned as well <coughs> 
in the mental health aspect with people with uh, chronic illnesses now obviously mental health mental health is uh, something that's being researched but like, especially mental health with that, that go alongside with people with uh, chronic illnesses or um, disabilities physical limitations yeah. that's that's very new in itself and uh yeah, uh, from my personal perspective, I, I, I see it can go really either way. I think, um, like, mm-hmm. uh, I won't obviously mention names of clients, but I've got clients yeah. that suffer with um, mental health issues, and uh, yeah, they've got like a physical limitation. Whereas I'll have another one with a physical limitation, and they do not have a bad thing to say day to day. You never see them sad. Um, yeah, and it's that can, yeah, it's, yeah it's, that can be a stage of illness too. Um, because when I was first diagnosed my first few months, I was horribly depressed. Um, I really thought my life would not get better. I really thought I would be bed bound for the rest of my life. I thought that, you know, and it's a bit of a suicide warning here. I really thought my life was not worth living. I really, truly felt that way. I felt like nothing I wanted to achieve in life would be done. Um, things felt extremely hopeless when I was told you have a chronic illness and most people don't get better from it. Um, a year later, I'm a lot better. And I really, I don't have bad mental health days. I don't. Um, I'm, I'm happy a lot of the time. We're in a lockdown here in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> the stress, stress impacts my physical health, but my mental health, I'm, you know, I'm very optimistic you know, as I've mentioned a few times throughout yeah. this conversation, you know, um, I'm, I'm very optimistic about my own future. I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future of the world, even, um, even despite everything that's going on. Um, and I, you know, and I'm so excited for what the future has for me. Um, and I did not think a year ago, I did not think that I'd be feeling like this because a year ago, um, you know, I really didn't know where I would be you know, in any year's time, if I'd still be in bed, if I'd be in a hospital, like where, you know, where would I be? Um, and, you know, now it's a year on and yes, I've had added physical health challenges, but um, I guess, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of the mental health support that I needed um, and I've gotten physical support that I needed as well to help that condition too. Um and yes, yeah, so you know now I've I've gone from being like one of your clients to being like the other one. Um, so it can all happen within one person as well. It can be completely dependent on on the stage and outlook of you know your illness and your life circumstances mm. too. Um, you know that that said, I have a lot I have a lot of fortunate things going for me that have really helped my mental health. I have really really supportive friends and family. I haven't and and people at work. I haven't had to deal with anyone being an asshole about my about my illness which I know a lot of people do have to deal with I haven't had financial issues because I've kept my job yeah um, I mean it's quite tough as well because you're one I, would be classed as an invisible illness so you could come into yeah. work and if you're like for me I would understand completely you would tell me what you got and I'd be like okay yeah that makes sense all right okay yeah we'll, we'll deal with that but however like if you go to an employer um and say that I can't come in today because this is playing up or this is flaring up or we're having this issue there could mm-hmm. be that issue because they can't physically see you like with a missing limb or like, you know, half of your yeah. whatever hanging off. Like they would not see that as a genuine reason why you can't come in. And then obviously, you know, that can cause stress, which could further sort of, uh, you know, accelerate your condition because of uh, having to deal with all yeah. these other things. I think it comes back to that support, as we've said, like multiple times yeah. that keeps coming back, having that support and having that that network and that framework yeah. of uh, 
of like-minded individuals and people maybe going through the same situations or people that understand mental health or understand yeah. chronic illness to to you know show you the way to do it and the way to 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 fix that problem yeah yeah and for me as well there's also just been helping in yeah like physical support from family and friends as well you know when I was at my sickest just having someone come around and do the dishes and do the vacuuming and just getting that you know that actual day-to-day support of, of people who care about me and want me to have you know happiness in life and and having them actually help me out although I had to swallow my pride to ask for it <laughs> but um you know um that was hard <laughs> now I don't care but the first six months of that was like <laughs> shockingly <Yeah>. hard <laughs> um but um, yeah, having, having those kinds of supports, you know, it, it gives you something to, you know, be grateful for. Um, and I mean, yeah, not that, I mean, sometimes I find that whole, you know, be grateful for something, gratitude, blah, 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 stuff a bit wanky, but, um, you know, other times, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a small nugget of truth to it when it's not mm. toxic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not for everyone this uh that sort of gratitude stuff like for me it works it works quite well not i don't necessarily sit there in bed in the morning and go right i'm grateful for this that and the other but i'm i'm, I'm once again i'm very optimistic um so <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll always see the bright side of something or i'll wake up and, yeah well and for me up. i can only like be grateful for something if i'm already in a good mood if i'm in a shit yeah. mood and i have to be grateful for something i don't want to be in a great like grateful for that i'm <laughs> i want to be mad right now you know <laughs> I see, I'm, I'm pretty good at stomping them out I do have sometimes I'll wake up and I'll have that instant chatter in my brain like um, especially being self-employed you sort of have them them thoughts in your head oh my business is not going well I've not got enough revenue coming in or you have like oh, I've got to get up for work today oh, I can't fall in sick like I've been sick for the past two days and I've still gone to work and uh, and you do have them little negative thoughts crop up in the morning but I'm pretty good at sort of stomping them out quite quickly like I, I think for me having a morning regime is is key I find my getting myself ready in the morning so i'll have my process like i have uh, dogs and cats but i'll always make sure i'm sorted out first so I'll, I'll have my coffee i'll have my breakfast i'll prepare all my stuff i'll have like a the, podcast the animals not like kick up a fuss about that no they, <laughs> that's the deal i turn that's on the, the kettle deal. in the morning my cat is just screaming at me <laughs> oh, to be fair my cat isn't a one of, oh they're both they're both asleep over there you won't see them i've got oh, two uh, i've got two two hairless cats so um they're just asleep <laughs> i won't wake them up but um yeah, so, uh, but but there was a point where I would get up and I would try and do everything at once. Like, I'll try and feed them, I'll try and do my breakfast. And then, like, I had the dogs like jumping up and they're like, the cats are jumping yeah. around. I'm trying to do, oh, it's just chaos. I'm getting stressed out. I'm spilling coffee everywhere. My coffee's cold, my breakfast ruined, everything's burned. Um, <laughs> and I just found that that led to a very chaotic morning. Whereas, if I focused on myself for that first 30 minutes of waking up, having my coffee, before having my breakfast, yeah. before <laughs> zookeeping, um, I just found I just found everything just run a lot better throughout that day because I didn't set myself up for failure with that stressful morning. So for me, definitely mental health wise, if I'm having a negative thoughts in the morning, just making sure I wake up and I just get straight to my structure, my, my morning routine. Once yeah. that's done and I've listened to something, maybe uh, don't put the news on in the morning. Never do it. <laughs> no, Never don't do open Twitter. Do no. Don't open Twitter. Don't open Facebook. Don't put the news on because straight away that'll put you in a negative <laughs> mindset. Um, I, I normally have a podcast lined up for the morning that I listen to, and it's always something uh, either business related or um, 
self-betterment related sort of stuff and I'll, yeah. I'll pop that on in the morning and that just starts me up that's that and even if I go for a walk like this morning I went for a walk and I listened to a podcast about a similar subject actually morning fulfillment and uh, making sure you yeah. tackle these tasks in the morning and uh, I just even if I'm stressed out I'll come back and I'll, I'll feel good because I've I've had that positivity and I think positivity yeah, brings that, positivity that time and negativity. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said at the start, um, like negative mindsets do, it's, it's contagious. Like if someone's got a negative thing to say, um, it's contagious and it can put you in a bad mood and put you in that spiral. Yeah. 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 And the, and the spiral of, of negativity is such a, you know, it's, it's such a strong thing for us as humans as well. It's really, you know, we really do seem to have like, you know, two spirals that could happen. You either have a positive one or you have a negative one. You know, you can't, it's very hard to, you know, as humans, we, we're not very good at living in, in these shades of grey. We are quite black and white and yeah. we like to go, you know, in either direction with a lot of things and our moods tend to be like that as well. But, you know, I think for me as one of my biggest tools and especially with chronic illness has just been this acceptance thing, this thing of being like, okay, well, if I am going to be, you know, pretty much housebound for the rest of my life, how can I make this better? Um, you know, what if this is the worst case scenario, how can I get the best out of this worst case scenario? And that's what I did. And that's how I got out of, of that kind of that very worst stage of the chronic illness. One of the things I actually did when I was like, okay, if I'm going to be sick, so prior to um, prior to getting yeah, a chronic illness. Um, one of my life goals with with research, um, you know, a really big thing is that you want to um, work with people all over the world and you want to get jobs all over the world. You want to be able to take whatever job you need wherever it is. Um, so I had dreams of going overseas, um, which I guess most Aussies do because we're so far away. <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely was thinking that, yeah, over the next couple of years, I'd be in the, the US, Canada, Europe, UK, somewhere. And um, when I was really sick and housebound, I was like, I can't get on a plane. I can't go to a new country by myself. That's just not going to happen. And it just really felt like, you know, as I said, it, it really did feel like my future was you know, just crumbling in front of me. Um, and so one of the things I did, I was thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to be, you know, in Melbourne for the next few years, at least, if not the rest of my life and never leaving, except maybe for tiny holidays, like, what can I do? I adopted my cat last year when I got sick. That's what oh, I nice. did. I was like, I'll, <laughs> I'll get a pet and I'll have, you know, I'll have my little companion. I'll have someone to take care of and take care of me too. Not that she does, but you know, um, and that was one of the, you know, the biggest improvements I had is that, you know, I've, I've adopted, yeah, this cat who's now like, you know, my little best friend and, um, and it really made, you know, my home living space really positive. You know, when you've got pets at home, you want to be at home, right? So, oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, that made it so much more positive that, you know, even if I'm too sick to like, you know, even leave my, my house, my little lockdown walk, <laughs> um, <laughs> then, you know, at least I can just stay home with my cat on my lap and watch a movie, you know, like it's, um, yeah. So I think it goes back to that all... support once again, regardless of what the well, support yeah, is but, <laughs> every time. But yeah. I think we can also get a lot out of accepting where we're at yeah. and that doesn't have to mean, 
I'm accepting things are shit and things get to stay shit. It's like, no, I'm expecting that this is the scenario, but there are ways that I can make this scenario better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, again, I think, yeah, there are a few things we, we keep coming back to, but I think optimism can come out of acceptance. So I think if you're Absolutely. really in denial about something, then maybe you'll be optimistic, but obviously it will be like delusional if you're in denial about something. Yeah. Um, but if you're really accepting of where things are at, then you can, um, you know, really be able to see, you know, what where things like realistically where things could be and get sort of the most out of any situation. And you're not going to be catastrophizing on one hand or being completely delusional on the other. <laughs> Cause I think as well as if you, if you're looking in that negative light and, uh, you, you, you are pessimistic about the future. You don't look for um, ways out. You, you sort of, you're stuck in that, as we say, that spiral, a downward spiral. And we're changing yeah. your mindset and saying, look, I can't control this. This has happened to me. Um, shit, shit happens, basically. Um, how yeah. can I best, how can I best make a, a situation have a bad scenario? And uh, exactly yeah. that's what you've done. You've, you've accepted it. You've gone, right, okay. Yeah, not ideal. Didn't really fancy having this, but you know, I've got it now. <laughs> Uh, let's get a cat. Let's start looking on the positive things. And uh, it's worked, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's picked you up. And even though, yes, you do have probably down days and like, days that you struggle, um, you just have that little reminder in your head, okay, like, yes, I'm, I'm with this. Yeah, but, but you know what happens as well? Like when I have collapsing episodes, which thankfully do not happen as often as they used to, but as soon as I started accepting my illness, when I would collapse, I would just laugh and be like, I'm on the floor again. Cool. You know, like I wouldn't stress out and I wouldn't be like, oh shit, I'm on the floor and I can't get back up. Like, this is awful. I would just be like, I'm on the floor. I'm just going to have to sit here for a few minutes and then I'll be good. You know, like, and being able to change my mindset about it. And also, yeah, I think that was also, you know, another thing I did in terms of the acceptance um, that really made a huge difference was, you know, I, I would, i been pretty much from the start not too long after that diagnosis I've been super open everyone who knows me knows I have thoughts um you know my um so like even my personal social media my personal Instagram I've talked about it a lot on there I've talked about it to death on there that's why I need a new account um you know <laughs> well, even on even on my professional Twitter page I actually mentioned it on there too because I figured like you know some people might not want to disclose health information for, you know, potential employers. But I went, well, if someone who's going to employ me and be my boss doesn't want me because I have a chronic illness, like I don't want them either. No, you you don't want to work for that person because then you're going to run into problems. So, Yeah, you know, like they should see, you know, they should be impressed by the fact that I'm still, you know, out here trying to do what I want to do, even though I have this extra obstacle and that I'm still, you know, making the most of, um, you know, my, my studies and my career, even though I have this extra obstacle. And in some cases, I think it's, you know, it's even a strength to have these obstacles when you're working in, in healthcare, because you get a better idea of what a lot of people that mm-hmm. your research is supposed to help. Yeah. You, know, you get a better idea of what people. they go through. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, but that's all just come from this openness of it, you know, and, and in fact, it pushed me to be open. Yeah, sorry, it pushed me to accept, being so open pushed me to accept it as well because, 
if I'm going to tell everyone I have this thing, then everyone knows I have this thing. And then I have to admit that I have this thing. <laughs> um, and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like that accountability side of things as well. So even though it's not necessarily accountability, but it's uh, because you've admitted it, you're open about it now. Okay. You've got to deal with it. Same with like accountability. Yeah. I, I use my social media as a bit of a, an accountability tool for myself, like in regards to my training and um, what I'm doing in life and like um, keeping me on to like, I'll, I'll put up videos of me walking my dogs in the morning, like, and because that's now expect, I feel like people expect that. Like I, it sort of pushes me more so to take my dogs out early in the morning. Yeah. Um, likewise with staying on, on track with my diet, I'll post a lot of stuff so people know what I'm eating um, and they can follow some of the recipes and meals I have. Um, I'll post that as well. And that keeps me on track because I know today, Oh, I've got to post my meal later. I can't really slip up and mess about and eat some crap. <laughs> Yeah, and likewise with my training, like I put I put some of my workouts that I do, like my own personal workouts on my stories and stuff. So once again, that's that accountability. So mm -hmm. by telling people things, I think it holds you accountable, and regardless whether that's uh, like the betterment of yourself, whether that's like training or um, in regards to yourself, where it's your condition and having that acceptance behind it by telling other people, yeah. it's sort of right. Okay, yeah, this is real. Got to deal with it. Let's deal with it. Let's not. Yeah, uh, this condition I've never heard of before. It is real. <laughs> no one else has ever heard about it before. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of, I've heard it a couple a lot of this particular condition a couple it's, of times, um, but um, it's, it's not. It's really it's not... weird. There's really good awareness about it in the UK in particular. In fact, mm. all of the information that I initially learned about POTS was from the UK. Um, and it's very, yeah, it's just not something that's talked about in Australia at all. Um, I mean, in Australia, we have some like kind of cultural things i guess um where people don't really talk about i mean I, I guess this is the same in a lot of western countries but um or maybe a lot of countries worldwide but i i feel like a lot of the time people don't really talk about illness and disability unless it's like you know like that disability porn kind of thing <laughs> um uh, so yeah i feel like random little diseases and stuff people just like don't talk about it here and mm. very very secret for a lot of people it's not, it's not one of the popular ones it's not the uh the fashion well, even, disabilities to have even the popular ones you probably wouldn't know someone has that unless you're really close with them yeah um here in australia i feel like people just are not that open about it unless it's a visible disability to be honest mm. i feel like invisible disabilities are truly invisible in australia mm. um and i mean yeah that might be the case in a lot of different communities and a lot of different places but that's something i've noticed here in australia and i noticed when i started being really open saying yeah i got this thing called pots I actually got messages from people I've known for a really long time saying, oh, um, you don't know this, but I also have a chronic illness. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 um, you know, and, um, and in a funny way that actually like spurred me to keep on talking about it because I'd sort of seen that, you know, I, as, as I mentioned, I had such a hard time when I was diagnosed because I felt like I didn't know other people with chronic illnesses. Um, and so therefore people with chronic illnesses must be really sick. And then to find out that, yeah, some of my friends who have these completely invisible chronic illnesses, um, you know, have this story of illness behind them and, and look where they are now. I wanted to make my version of that public so other people could know and know about it and see it, even if they wanted to keep things private themselves, you know, um, I, you know, I'm obviously very talkative. I'm obviously like a bit of a loud mouth. So like, I'm completely happy to, you know, be this open book and, and have my story out there. If, 
you know, if other people aren't, aren't, aren't willing to, you know, tell their own story, but if hearing mine is helpful, then, you know, that's, that's, you know, great in my books. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's super important. And, and once again, one of the reasons I did this because uh, you, you've you've seen there's a problem, and that problem's not being addressed. So you've, you know, put, you put yourself out there as a spokesperson in order to to address that problem. And I know for me, um, I was I was quite worried to be the person that addressed that problem because I haven't got a chronic illness, I haven't got a disability. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's my passion. It's the people I work with. So I was like, this problem needs to be dealt with, and I was yeah. a little bit hesitant in order to be that spokesperson because I wasn't I felt like a bit of like yeah but pa- part of the issue with trying to be a spokesperson when you have a chronic illness and I'm sure with disability as well is that you have other things to deal with you're tired you have medical appointments like you probably also have a job to hold down on top of that yeah. so I mean these are like my personal things it's like I would love to be on social media a lot more but like yeah often I'm just so tired and I've got stuff on and you know, I just don't have the energy for it. So, you know, if there is someone who has that energy and, you know, knows my stories and stories of people like me and is able to, you know, tell them in, um, you know, a respectful way, but do that openly, um, you know, I'm like 110% for it because that's one of the really hard things about, um, you know, being chronically ill is that we, you know, have so much trouble advocating for ourselves because we have these like physical mental like exhaustion yeah, in general. yeah. And, um, and you could go for a period of being very active on social media but then because you're going through that that potential downward spiral with with your your, your, your mental health um that, that, even your physical health as well yeah, like yeah, i physical- have times when my phone is too heavy to hold in my hand like my brain just won't work to post anything on social media like um you know you're just you're just not there like you know some days I wake up and it's like you know it's like I get that experience of what I can only imagine you know new parents with a crying baby feel like you know do you see them posting on social media no like too busy busy dealing with a crying baby yeah exactly um so yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of the really hard things. And I had a bit of a struggle with my uni a bit earlier this year where um, I had a really tough time getting accommodations. I'm not even, I didn't even actually really want accommodations. I just wanted it like listed on my record that I have a chronic illness and that it might cause me, you know, some troubles in my candidature. Like that's all I wanted was some documentation of it. And I just got like a lot of no's back and I was like, what the hell is going on? So, you know, I kind of, did a little bit of campaigning for that on social media, but even like that was super tired and sorry, tiring. Um, and it was really hard getting through to people and communicating with the right people. Like that required a lot of energy. And not only does it require a lot of energy, like normally because communicating with people can be annoying when they don't respond, but it's also, you know, when it's so personal, it's like that emotional energy of like, I need this thing. And like, this person just won't give it to me and they just won't talk to me, you know? And so it's like, it's that emotional energy that, you know, goes into it that, um, you know, really increases that struggle as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I certainly, you know, when it comes to me advocating for my, you know, illness and my issues online, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm so accepting of people who don't do the same, but they have their own chronic illness and struggles because, 
you know, like it's, it's tiring. And, you know, if, if that's just not your personality to be that open and, and that makes it even more tiring, maybe you're quite introverted. And then, you know, maybe you have a fear of um, judgment, discrimination, all of that on top of it. It's like, totally understand why people do keep it quiet, you know? Mm. Um, I was tough. I remember posting like the first time I ever posted something on Instagram uh, when I first started out as a PC, I was, I had to like, press like send and then just close my phone for like an hour i didn't want to look at it i, was like, <laughs> I still oh do that <laughs> people are gonna laugh at me people are gonna say stupid things but you know you just get comfortable with it and, and the lucky thing with what i do especially with like the disability stuff is if anyone does give me any negative feedback they're gonna look like a right arsehole yeah <laughs> what you got yeah. a problem with me helping people with disabilities oh shame on you <laughs> um so yeah i mean but you know you, you do get over that and and you sort of you do find that people like even though they might not say nothing now like it's taken sometimes like it's been 10 years like, i've had people follow me for 10 years and then one day they've said something to me like oh my god your page has has helped me like you, i don't think you realize how much like you're just putting your daily motivational stuff out and and your workouts and all these bits and pieces have, have really impacted my life and all of a sudden we don't see that initial um feedback straight away through social media but over time i mean as soon as yeah. i opened the the, the old movement page I, I, I was getting inundated with people going oh my god this is exactly what we need so hence why i pursued yeah. that more so um but yeah it's just having that and once again if you are suffering from uh, uh like your mental health anxiety um to post something being an advocate is it's it's exposed yeah, you're exposing yourself you're like this is me this is my problems i'm trying to help people and it's like yeah, yeah. as you say you're just like an open wound exposed nerve yeah and uh, it's this terrifying yeah and also i guess you know there's and and this is just for like anyone on social media that talks about i guess anything that has like a business or professional element to it as well but like and and also i guess when it comes to illness but um, you know, there's that like imposter syndrome as well. It's like, is someone going to misinterpret what I say? Is, am I saying something wrong and someone's going to correct me and this will be embarrassing, you know, like. Um, no, but I think I think if you do, if someone does correct you, like if I was to say something wrong and someone corrected me, I think the best thing you can do in that situation is not panic and just take ownership of it and say, okay, yeah, I was wrong. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I think I phrased <laughs> that a little bit wrong there. but um, No, 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 you're right. I, I, like, that's, these are the exact thoughts that I had through my head when I was doing it. Like I was concerned that someone was going to pull me up and I, oh, I'm not going to talk about like the, the anatomy and physiology wrong. Will I say something wrong about the body? Will I say mm. something wrong about a training plan? And then another trainer is going to come in and, and slag me off and say, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> Look at this guy, he's an imposter. Like he's trying to help people. He ain't got a clue what he's talking about. Like these things, they are very real. But I think the, the best way to counteract or combat that is just to um, just to just to accept it and just say, okay, I was wrong. Like I'm human. Yeah. We're all human. We Thank all make mistakes. Thank you for correcting me. Now I know Thank better. Thank you for yeah. correcting me. Now I know better. And then like, what can I say to that? You're done. You've stopped that, like that discussion, that argument, that embarrassment there yeah. straight away. So yeah, like yeah. yourself, like I wouldn't feel worried about putting anything out there because if anyone does correct you, just be humble so yeah thank you yeah <laughs> yeah no but one thing with um chronic illnesses though is that you can get like you can get different disorders having the same symptoms but for different reasons and different <clears throat> variations on the same symptoms and so people will sort of come at you and be like oh well you're saying you have fatigue but I have chronic fatigue disorder and therefore like you don't know what fatigue is because you don't have that you have POTS and I'm like I'm still tired. Like, <laughs> why are you coming at me? Like, um, you know, you get a bit of that sometimes. Like, yeah, just people just like wanting to, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Prove a point about nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a problem. I've, I've had, I, I, to be fair, I've not been met with it too much, but I've had like um, <clears throat> one person correct me 
and when I was working with one client and uh, they sort of corrected some of the technique the client was doing I was like oh no like, I completely agree I just messaged him back saying I completely agree with you you're absolutely right um, in this certain situation I didn't do that what you're suggesting with that client because of uh, they had underlying mobility issues and I wasn't able to get them in that position so we've done it like this but thank you for your feedback I'll definitely take that on board for next time and I think if you attack mm. it like that like you can't really be wrong like I know why I'm doing things anything I put out on social media I, I'm I'm very purposeful of why I'm doing yeah. it and why I'm putting it out there and I wouldn't put any wrong information out there so um but it did get my back up initially they messaged me and I was like yeah. what are you saying man <laughs> but then i sort of thought about it. i was like no you know what he's, yeah. he's, he's just he's just trying to help me out like, and uh, i just sort of yeah i mean that back. yeah on i could have got into a massive well, like, argument <laughs> no but on the flip side as well like that is one great thing about the chronic illness community and i'm sure the disability community you know just as much is that um people understand that you need to make your own modifications for you know different things that are going on in your body because people understand how different everyone's bodies are and you know, if you have an illness or a disability, you understand 100% or 110% that the person next to you who's got the same, you know, disease, disorder, injury, whatever, they're going to have a completely different presentation of it and they're going to have different symptoms and yeah. um, even like a different, you know, physiology just, you know, just based on the way that, you know, they were born, their genetics, all of that. Um, and so, you know, there's kind of like no you know, there's no real right thing. Obviously there are certain things that are always going to be wrong, but like, you know, one thing that's like pretty funny about having um, POTS and I have some, like, um, I, I have an issue where my, my stomach is like potentially has some paralysis, something we're sort of checking out a bit. So I, I've been having some issues with um, digesting food and mm -hmm. um, one of the, yeah. So obviously the first thing is with POTS, you know, because when you have low blood pressure, you want to increase your blood pressure. Often you're told to eat more salt. So that's one thing I have to do that's against general health advice. The next thing is, because I'm having these issues with getting food down, I have been told to take in like less fiber in my diet, have more mm -hmm. simple carbs. <laughs> basically, my diet is like trash, basically, compared to, you know, what is is supposed to be, you know, an average like um, health advice, you know, from the government, you know, which is like reduce your salt intake, reduce your simple sugars, simple carbs, um, take in more fiber. And then, you know, in my case, my doctors are like, have more salt, have less fiber. <laughs> <laughs> more simple carbs for you <laughs> and i'm like okay well, i mean <laughs> i guess that'll be down to being affected like the autonomic nervous system obviously that's it that's like the digestion is is that that's what it's about like it's something that happens yeah. without our conscious uh awareness so um if it is affecting that i guess well your stomach has to move a certain way to pass food through and if that's yeah. being turned off then food i guess is just sitting there and not moving correctly yeah All right and so yeah. And, and yeah, I get quite a lot of nausea as well. So, I mean, yeah, like what me and my doctor sometimes talk about is like, if it's a choice between like, if I, let's say I have three choices with what I eat, I've got some type of healthy food, I've got an unhealthy food. And then the third choice is nothing. Mm -hmm. Obviously I don't want to eat nothing. <laughs> so we're going to put yeah. that finger down. I have to eat something. Right. And then if my choice is between a healthy food, that's like full of fiber and, but also full of vitamins, all that good stuff, you know, let's say it's a huge apple, whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, there's that, but that might make me throw up. And then maybe there's a piece of bread <laughs> and, you know, it's just, maybe it's also, I don't know, it's a highly processed bread. It's 
bleach white bread. I don't know why I'd have that in my home, but let's say that I do in this example, you know, out of those three things, you know, whether it's not eating anything, going without food or having something healthy or having something like less healthy, I'm going to go for the less healthy option because then I'm getting some energy into my body that my body can actually take. Um, Like literally some days I will have chocolate for breakfast because my body's like, no, you're not going to have anything else. You're going to have this one small thing that's full of calories and you'll just get energy that way (laughs) rather than trying to, you know, have something that's, you know, more like voluminous because it's got all that fiber and water in it that's going to fill up your stomach and you're not going to be able to digest it and you'll throw it back up anyway, you know. So sometimes it's like it really is about adapting things to what your body can and can't do and if that goes against general health advice but it's the best thing for you then you like you've got to do it you know mm. um so yeah my doctor was like i don't care if you have chocolate for breakfast like i'd rather you have chocolate than nothing and i was like yeah same <laughs> yeah i mean like, sh- sugar and uh, chocolate is um not necessarily a bad thing it's always demonized a lot i mean it's not great because people consume a lot of it but um it's not a bad thing but your, your body does convert carbs and stuff into glucose anyway and it's used in the body so yeah. um yeah so it's just obviously you're taking that that process of digestion yeah. uh, which is turning it into that into that and obviously if your stomach's not able to digest the food correctly and uh, pass it through properly then yeah oh yeah so obviously like when it comes to you know gi and the general advice around um around you know high gi versus low gi foods is to have you know the low gi so that you know you get that slow release of blood glucose but like if you're like (laughs) if you're simply like not even digesting the food then you're not gonna get any of that glucose right and so for me like if i've got a hit of something that's like high gi and i can at least digest it then i'll at least have that energy um and so yeah there's been like a lot of trial and error like especially i've had these issues come up really the last few months in particular which is really strange i don't know why they've suddenly come up now but um it's just sort of been my new thing to deal with um and yeah so it's just been like a lot of trial and error of like okay how much of this type of food that I like can I have how much of because I'm I'm actually really typically like a healthy eater I actually I eat like a vegan diet so cutting down my fiber is difficult (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so it's like all right how much of this type of food can I like you know adapt down like you know if, if if my normal breakfast so my normal breakfast would be like a bowl of oats with some protein powder and some berries. <laughs> There's a lot of fiber in that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm having like 70 grams of oats because I want a big breakfast, then it's like I calculated it. It was something like 14, 15 grams of fiber, something, you know, like really intense for like one meal. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to have like at least half of that, if not a quarter, <laughs> save the rest till later. Like <laughs> I'm probably just better off like having a piece of toast, to be honest, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's funny, like these rules that, you know, we're so, this so ingrained in us, all this health advice, especially if you are someone who's health conscious as well. Mm. And then you have to like kind of relearn a new normal. It's like mm. you know, quite an interesting thing when, yeah, your body's just... <laughs> A vegan diet is a tough diet to follow anyway. And then and once again, making it fun and enjoyable to actually eat um, can be a little bit challenging. I've been vegan actually a really long time. So, um, yeah, I was vegetarian since I was a kid. I just never wanted to eat meat. Um, as a kid, I was just a stubborn kid. And then um, in, yeah, like my very early 20s, like about maybe 21, 
I sort of had this feeling like, well, if I'm going to be vegetarian, then, and I didn't eat a lot of dairy products anyway, and didn't really like eggs that much. I was like, well, if I'm going to be a vegetarian and if I'm going to, you know, do the most like for animals and the environment, like I might as well just go vegan. So I did. Um, and it's been, yeah. So yeah, that was when I was 21. So it's been about five years or a bit more over, maybe five and a half years now. Um, so it's very much just like normal daily life for me to eat a vegan diet, but, um, and, you know, obviously, yeah, being, being a very like health conscious person, like I'm very aware of, you know, the, the macro and micronutrients that I'm getting, but maybe not so much anymore now I have to like have like a piece of toast for a meal, but like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, at least when, um, you know, in the first few years of, of, of being vegan, it was a lot of like, yeah, trying out different things, making sure I was getting adequate protein, B12, iron, all the things that, you know, can be lacking from vegan diets and making sure that that didn't happen to me. Um, so, you know, I've sort of worked out my way around all those things very easily and I can't picture myself going back to certainly not ever eating meat because I haven't eaten that for like 15 years now. Um, and yeah, dairy and eggs really just don't interest me. I feel a bit sick thinking about them personally. It's just not, it's just like sometimes when there are foods you don't eat for many years, um, mm. you completely lose your taste for them. And that's happened to me with animal products. So yeah, I can't really going picture going back to eating them. So yeah, and now I just have to <laughs> try to make a vegan diet low fiber somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to be crazy difficult. I mean, um, I've, I've, I've never had any issues with. I, I say I, I eat meat myself, but um, I sort of I do have meals with just vegetables. I do have meals with potentially just meat but yeah it really depends on this uh i imagine it's trying to keep it interesting as well at the same time as making it tasty as well because uh if you can't have all the fiber and stuff what can you really have that's uh that's i mean that could be a great thing you could share on your social media page i know that would be interesting for people yeah, to see how maybe. to do a vegan I mean, diet with no fiber or low fiber <laughs> cardboard yeah. you can have cardboard for breakfast <laughs> no i think it's it's more like for me it's definitely more about like having things in smaller portions with higher levels of fat so obviously you can't do like vegan keto like <laughs> and i still eat like a lot of carbs but it's just like having things in smaller portions so like the last thing i ate was like a single piece of toast with bread and a banana like that was my meal um but i'll just eat again in a, in a couple of hours and so like i'm getting you know, I'm still going to get like the calories I need throughout the day. It's just in these smaller portions so that my stomach can take it, digest it, and then like move on. Um, and then, you know, there are also like other little like tips and tricks about how to go about it, like um, spacing out um, water and liquid intake. So you don't get that at the same time as food. So your stomach again has time to just go through everything, <laughs> you know, as yeah. it needs you just get like these huge, these huge dumps of like, um, a lot of things at once. Um, oh, that would really 100% tough. be me. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that used to be me as well. Like, I'm, I'm that typical like person that like, you know, I can just go hours without eating, just like forget to eat and then just like, you know, <laughs> binge everything. Like that was yeah. just what I used to be like my whole early 20s and teen years. Just like <laughs> not eat the whole day, just forget to eat and then like make a feast basically. <laughs> but so I've had to completely reverse that because um, otherwise, yeah, I just have these blood sugar crashes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy um, stories. Yeah. So like, yeah, there can just be like so many adjustments, I guess you have to make when you have something like pots or mm. yeah, really any other 
um, illness that, you know, just sort of comes by surprise, I guess, um, you know, it's, I think it's a very different ball game being, and I mean, I can speak to this from personal experience, like being born with something like hypermobility spectrum disorder and then developing POTS later on, like it's a super different ball game being born mm. with something and being able to adapt as you go as a kid because kids are so like, you know, just little sponges, pick up everything, adapt everything as they go, um, you know, and then, well, although that said, like, of course, it's, there's another, you know, there's, there would be, you know, this huge added layer of difficulty if you have a visible disability as a child. Yeah. And I don't want to dismiss that. But in my, you know, my own personal case of having two invisible disabilities, um, you know, yeah, with, with growing up hypermobile, like, I didn't even really know that was a thing. I knew I was flexible. No. And I knew yeah, I was injured all the time. You just lived with hyperflexibility. Um, but yeah, but yeah no, I, I, just, I, I, I completely agree. I've seen like some people yeah. go uh, with a spin ball with a disability or a health condition and they're, they're fine. They don't see it any other way because that's the way it's always been. And then if you've developed something like whether that's through injury or through uh, it's just yeah. it's just turned up later in life, you do have to go through that grieving process of like yeah. your life. And as you said, you, you, you went through that grieving process. You was like, oh, that's it. Like everything I pictured for myself is gone. I've got yeah. to create a new, a new sort of like life now, and how am I going to do this? So you've grieved your old life almost, and yeah, go through the other side. And some people take a bit longer. Some people can do it in weeks. Some people can do it months, years. Um, I've spoken yeah. to people that have said like, the second I, um, the second I woke up and I was told I can't walk again, I was like, right, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And they've dealt with it right there and then. Like, and other people, have, yeah, it's taken them six plus years and. Uh, before they've yeah but fully... even for those of us that do accept it and accept it reasonably quickly it doesn't mean it doesn't come back and we feel the sting of it here and there um it doesn't oh, yeah, yeah, mean yeah, yeah. That, yeah oh no no i know i'm just like you know i guess for anyone who's listening and, and you know can can maybe relate to one side but not the other you know i guess my perspective is that yeah even though i've been able to accept this and yeah, make a whole new lifestyle and um, have new things to, I guess, look forward to. It doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't a lot of times where I just wish I was able-bodied. I just wish that I had the energy that yeah. other people seem to have. Yeah, you, you still dive into that grieving process every now and then because, you know, it's something yeah. you live with and it's, it's not how you planned. And if you're going on that that day where you've got a bit of anxiety and stuff and then, then old familiar feelings crop up and then you go, why me? Why couldn't I just... Or, or if there are just times where you're reminded of how limited you are, like, you know, for example, like going out with a group of friends and you have to leave early because you're just getting really tired. Um, or, you know, actually it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago. I, I had my, my mum over um, and um, I just got this huge hit of fatigue and I just really needed to take a nap. And so like, I asked her to leave. And I was <laughs> just like, left him. So oh, okay. You, asked him. you said, get <laughs> out. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and it's things like that, that just, yeah. And, and as well, yeah, like it's, it's been a really odd experience with me and um, spending time with my parents who have been really, really supportive. For me, sometimes that like makes me really sad because my parents are older. They're in their mid 60s. And they sometimes will do all my housework for me while I just lie in bed. <laughs> like I'm so in okay. my mid twenties, I should be able to do these things. So and okay, they're okay, running going back to being a teenager me. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my dad's had his, you know, he's had his heart issues and um, 
and all of that, although he's fully, fully recovered now. Like he has no really residual issues with that at all. But it's like, it's funny to see someone that, you know, in the last couple of years did have some pretty serious heart issues, just like running circles around me now. When like, yeah, not too long ago, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, there are things like that where it's like, I almost wish that I was like a healthy 60 something year old rather than an unhealthy 20 year old. <laughs> like <laughs> um, there are some things that just like, yeah, really remind you of, of your limits and it just, yeah, yeah it kind of sucks. Um you know, and there's no two ways about that. It's just, it is. But it's, all it about, is. It's, all, it's, it's all about a perspective as well and how you can sort of change your perspective on on how you look at things and how, how you can sort of overcome them obstacles, I guess. And I think you've probably got quite a uh, quite a good handle on it all by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, I hope so. But yeah, it doesn't mean like, yeah, you don't have, you don't have hard days. But I guess that's, you know, that's like everyone to some degree is going to go through that, you know, because it's just like, you know comparison is always going to be the the thief of joy like even if I was able-bodied maybe I'd you know maybe I'd have more like body dysmorphia and I'd be like oh yeah. well, I don't like you know that woman and and therefore there's still something wrong with me or you know maybe I'm not as smart as someone else in my PhD program and there's something wrong with me and you know you're always just going to compare to someone that's got something that you don't have mm. um and so yeah although that said like I feel like there's definitely a challenge where you live in a world that's you know designed for a certain type of able-bodied person uh, and when you're not that it, it's it's obvious but it's more, yeah, no, it's I mean, more it, noticeable I think for yourself um, in them situations when you, yeah. when you do live with an illness yeah for sure um and yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting as well how things can intersect as well, because, you know, I guess going back to the stuff about, you know, body image we were talking about at the start, you know, that can have this really interesting playoff effect, especially with invisible illnesses, because often one of the only visible things that changes with an invisible illness and in either direction is your weight. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I've gained weight. I know a lot of people lose weight. Um and you look different but the only way is, is is your weight and so you know if you've lost a lot of weight you know you might get assumptions about um your mental health and having an eating disorder and things like that if you gain weight people might just like think you're lazy and you know what's that term people use oh yeah like, let yourself go like those kinds of things um and so yeah the only like the only thing that's a, a clear visible change when you you know have an invisible illness is you know these body image issues that we're continued like conditioned from the day we're born to to you know take to heart and um I think that's another thing I'm like quite passionate about um when it comes to I guess talking about exercise with people who have chronic illness um and having my background in mental health is reminding people that exercise isn't all about weight loss like when I sort of brought up the idea to um a few people you know about um yeah having like an instagram like about um you know chronic illness and and weightlifting and exercise and how i do what i do like you know there were a few comments like oh i'd love to know more about that so i can lose weight and i'm like that's not like your body is not ready to lose weight like mine isn't um you know i may you know have some weight to lose especially compared to you know a weight i used to be at but like my body is not ready to lose weight i can't control my blood pressure and my blood sugar like 
I'm not putting my body through that stress, you know, to lose weight. I'm doing this so I can gain muscle and feel stronger. Like I don't want to feel weaker and smaller. You know, that's not the point of this. It's about, you know, getting, feeling it's, it's stronger, impro- feeling it's improving, mentally healthy. It's improving the quality of your life ultimately. That's what I always go down yeah. to people and say, look, it's not necessarily about achieving this certain body image. And I think people get caught up in that body image of like, I need to look a certain way. I need to have rippling abs and you know all these sort of things and it's like let's 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 take that away a minute let's let's start thinking about stuff let's have some fun with your training let's like learn what you like to do let's let's get you fitter let's get you faster let's look at your performance let's see how like let's try and beat your 5k running time let's try and lift the heavier weight than you did yesterday and i'll tell you what as a byproduct of focusing your attention on these goals you're going to achieve this other goal. Maybe not to the point that you're visualizing, but you will be a lot happier with the way you look than you did six months ago if you follow this sort of mindset and way of looking at things. So yeah, I do try with a lot of people trying to steer them away from the body image side of things and look at more performance. Yeah, well, yeah, in general, whether or not exercise actually changes your body, it actually mentally helps your body image. That is one thing we do know. That is one thing my research is showing too. Um, is that people have better body image when they exercise mm. and they feel better in their skin, in their, you know, in the way they look, even if they don't lose weight or gain muscle or whatever their goal is, even if that ultimately doesn't happen. Because we know these things, they take a long time to do. It takes a long time to change your physique, um, you know, in a, in a noticeable way. Um, and but even so, you know, a couple of weeks of, you know, lifting some weights or going for some runs, like you do start to appreciate, oh, these are the things my body can do. This is like, you know, how I can have fun with movement. Um, and you're like, okay, well, maybe my body's not so bad then, you know. Um, but I think, yeah, in it, coming back to like the chronic illness, though, like, I think I was really just pretty surprised at, at how much, yeah, like with other women were really... Um, focusing on that point um you know about trying to trying to lose weight as the reason that they should exercise when they have a chronic illness because my reason was just very much of like um to be healthy to feel better yeah my reason was just like this is something i haven't been able to do i'm so excited just to be able to do it again to have one more ability because i've lost a few abilities you know to have one more um, you know, that's the most amazing thing that can come out of me exercising. Like I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter, um, what my waist measurement is, what my weight on the scale is like, it's just about, yeah, having that ability again and and being able to do things that I previously couldn't. Um, and yeah, and also just feeling better physically, mentally as well. It has nothing to do with, you know, um, my weight if I keep gaining weight but I feel better in my body like I don't care you know like that's one thing I realized with my pots and with my stomach issues is that you know um and and as I mentioned before like I'm I'm not trying to lose weight because that's going to be detrimental to my health I feel you know better now at a higher weight than I did a year ago at a lower weight because my body is needing these like extra calories even if it's keeping them on as fat like it's needing these just to carry out my daily functions and if gaining fat is a part of that i'd rather be you know i'd rather have a little extra fat in my body and be able to leave my house than happy you know and, and look picture inside. perfect and be stuck inside and only be able to send selfies yep. <laughs> you know? uh, but actually i probably even really wouldn't be able to send selfies because probably my face would look off 
<laughs> so, you know. I think that's, I think that's the, key, the key thing as, as we sort of come back to. It's like not necessarily about the way we look or the way, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Obviously, as a byproduct of certain things, you can look a certain yeah. way, but um, it's, it's all about um, improving that quality of life, um, bettering yourself and in terms of a disability or a health condition is to moderate or manage that health condition is the primary focus, obviously. Otherwise, you're going to go in that downward spiral if you try and use that weight loss side of things. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I will have to cut our conversation. Yeah, I know. I just realised uh, the plan, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I've hijacked my business computer and she's waiting to use it. So uh, <laughs> I'll have to jump off. Uh, but it's been awesome speaking to you anyway. So um, it's been great sort of Absolutely. going through some, yeah. going through all, all like what you're doing. And, and I think we definitely, uh, like even though we're sort of on kind of different uh different sides of what we do professionally there's definitely that huge crossover bit in the middle because yeah. it, it all well, goes hand in hand i think yeah that's often sort of the the kind of most important point to meet is when someone is you know like at a very different side mm. Mm. and it's great having them yeah, it's great having them conversations because like I've experienced things from my personal point of view and you've experienced things from your personal point of view. And the ultimate goal is obviously we're on the same path. We're looking at helping people and raising awareness yeah. around what we're doing and what um, needs to be done. And uh, yeah, and I think it's this is what it's all about is collabing. I've, I've been collabing with so many different people over the past uh, few months and it's uh, it's massively opened my eyes and given me a big... Um, a big incentive to continue this work and hopefully with yourself as well. And you're in the early yeah. stages of your social media. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see your research, especially um, coming up in the next yeah. few years of, uh, uh, and especially as you're living in the research as well, because you're a great mm. candidate for your own research. <laughs> yeah. If only I could just study myself, <laughs> make yeah, the article up, so much easier. <laughs> set, set, set up some cameras around the house. <laughs> Just awesome. fill out my own surveys all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Diary well, entries. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll uh, have a conversation now if you're okay with that. Hopefully, uh, yeah, absolutely. We've, we've answered each other's stuff. But, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you on again at some point and, uh, and chat to you on Zoom if you've got, once you've got some new research and uh, if I come up with any new ideas or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Brilliant stuff. Um, what time is it over there now? Uh, it's 9.30. Ah, yeah. bedtime bedtime yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go and start my day <laughs> yeah enjoy <laughs> so uh, um, yeah thank you so much it's been great to speak to you anyway but um yeah we'll stay yeah, in touch and we'll uh we'll um continue our research and what we're doing Absolutely. awesome see Peace ya. Out. have a great day you too see you later see ya